on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. One thing I like about the change in the seasons of the church is that the seasons of the church sometimes speak to us as well and kind of who we are as God's people. Because no matter what the Sunday, there are some people who as they get deeper and deeper into a worship service and connected with, the pe with people around them, they will go deeper into themselves. They think and they process and they create um, connection without much expression. They're sort of the brunt of that joke that says the choir sang so beautifully, which they did, that we were smiling as loudly as we could, right? That's sort of those folks. It's kind of an introverted approach to worship. But don't mistake that for just a me and Jesus kind of, kind of faith. They also may be the people who are behind uh, the scenes on, on things, you know, great things, giving or service or outreach. Now, other seasons like Easter and Christmas kind of cater to the more extroverted those who, as worship gets deeper and deeper for them, want to reach out or shout out more and more, the kind of the extroverts of, of the worship service, the more expressive ones. I'm bringing all of this up because as we enter into the season of Lent, there's something interesting that happens. And we used to do this physically in my seminary. We would, somebody would make this beautiful artwork that would have the, uh, the hallelujah on it or the alleluia on it. And we would actually process that out uh, during that first Sunday, uh, or for us, Wednesday, uh, in Lent. And that's kind of what happens here. You won't hear those hallelujahs and, and hallelujahs. They're the H word and the A word, right, during the season of Lent. And it gives us an opportunity not just to practice church rule number 480, but it, it offers us this chance to get really focused in and to kind of turn that, that focus not just into ourselves, but, but inward and, and to kind of serve those that that's kind of the way they practice their faith. So you won't hear them here. You won't hear them at the end of worship. They'll kind of be gone for a while, and we'll wait with anticipation to shout that when we get to Easter. So that's the start of, of this season and one of the things that goes with it. But as we focus in, we're focusing, of course, on the ministry of, of Jesus, and which we do today. He's come from last week's uh, sermon. We talked, uh, uh, or last week's reading was the transfiguration where Jesus, the glory of God, shines through Jesus so much that all you can probably see are his head and his hands and, every, and his feet and everything else is just shining like a light. And even in this story, we kind of go backwards a little bit in time here, but we're coming out of the waters of the baptism where Jesus is surrounded by community and John's preaching and he comes up out of those waters and it's proclaimed that this is God's beloved son with whom the father is well pleased. And now Jesus is sent out into a desert place. I read kind of a, a harrowing but unfortunately common story a few weeks ago about what I presume to be probably a fairly young adult, a young man. It didn't really say, but I kind of got that idea from his story. And it was his story written by him in the first person. And he talked about how as a child he had experienced abuse and how he went to church as a kid and they said that Jesus was with him. They said wonderful things, of course, things we say. They said that Jesus had the victory. They said that Jesus would help him. And so he waited. He took those promises to heart, and he waited, and he waited, and it seemed like nothing happened. Until one day he decided enough was enough, that nothing was going to happen, that maybe these promises he was told in his Sunday school life weren't so true after all, and he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he was able to make things better for himself. He took action. 
Now his conclusion, <clears throat> excuse me, his conclusion to this, this story was that he would never darken a church door again. He would never rely on anyone but himself again. Now kind of interestingly, at the end of the article, he still kind of had this, he still kind of threw this line out, like he still had this desire to know that God or some higher power existed. But his conclusion was that God or Jesus or any of that had nothing to do with his redemption. Now, it's not my story, and it's not my place to comment. I haven't experienced what he experienced. But I found myself longing for this man to see that it was Jesus who gave him the strength and the courage and the gifts to name that wrong in his life, in his situation, and to rise up out of it with help from those around him. But I remembered that story because I think our temptation is to kind of wish that Jesus would actually give in to these really helpful suggestions of the adversary. That's what Satan means, the adversary or enemy of God. I mean, think about this honestly as we talked with the kids a little bit ago. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus would command stones to become bread? If he would go out into places where there's extreme hunger, into those desert places and say, well, let's make these stones into bread and get, make sure everyone has a meal. And wouldn't it be great if Jesus could show us clearly through these amazing acts like jumping off the top of the temple and being caught by angels at the bottom? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus could show us that clearly that he's here and who he is? This is the greatest show, we'd probably say, right? Be even better than that movie. And wouldn't it be amazing, ultimately, if Jesus would, in fact, take over as the emperor of the world? Like I said to the kids, it's an election year, and there is that little issue, of course, that Jesus has to bow down to Satan in order to receive all of that. But maybe compromise is necessary for the greater good. <laughs> I'm not simply trying to be cute here. Think about it. Wouldn't all of that be kind of nice? Now, I have to confess, because if I kind of asked this opening question and thought about this in preparing the sermon, I actually kind of got stuck here. I got a little bit of writer's block because I started to think that the answer to my question was, yes, it kind of would be nice for Jesus to say yes to all of these temptations and take over. But what I think finally pulled me out of that block is that this offer from Satan is for Jesus. It's for Jesus, this, this limited to one life, each person gets one life, and that's all you get, Jesus. Not Jesus the Christ, not Jesus the Messiah, not Emmanuel, God with us, not the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten from God, but just Jesus, the man. And so his impact in ruling the world would be for now, or rather for then, and that time, and not so much for us today. It would have been amazing, probably, but it would have been just for that day. And then I didn't like that idea anymore, you know, selfishly, because I didn't live then. But I think I do desire that. Because while I want to say it's because I care about world hunger and unjust rulers being cast down from their thrones and things like that, I think part of me is just tempted to have God take over everything already. To sit back from this world of pandemics and war and poverty and, and uh, refugee crises and be comfortable while God just makes everything right. Of course, I'd have to give God a little advice on how to do that, so I wasn't uncomfortable, right? If you only will bow down to my will, just a little bit, Jesus, we would make a great team. Oh, hello, Adam. Hello, Eve. Put on some clothes, you guys. This is church. <laughs> I read this story thinking, I'm going to identify with Jesus. He takes on the temptations that I feel, and I'm going to identify with him, and like I was going to give up, you know, Diet Coke or binge-watching The Handmaid's Tale in, in order to really know what it's like to fast for 30 days or so and, and, and then go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the adversary who's been successfully tempting people for all time. But actually, I kind of keep finding myself more and more identifying with the tempter and some of his ideas. I want to be in control. I want to be perfect. I can do it myself. I often call original sin that we hear about in the Genesis story just plainly toddler sin, right? 
I do it myself. How many parents have heard that before from their toddler? How many people remember being a toddler and saying that? There were a few in the first service. Okay, not as good a memory in this one. That's fine. <laughs> but I feel very much like that toddler today, and oftentimes. And I'm, and I'm kind of a little bit concerned that we never really actually grow out of that phase of toddlerhood. We may just get a little more sophisticated in how we say, I do it myself. I'm constantly focused on my success and failure as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband. And the more I fall short, the more I seem desperate to try harder, to do better next time. The anxiety of failure feeds the need to focus more on our self-achievement, what I'm going to do better. Let me say that again. The anxiety of failure, I think, feeds the need, or excuse me, feeds the need to focus more on self-achievement. Whether it's real that we failed or whether it's even just our own perceptions. Even sometimes when the wrong is clearly the fault of someone else, we still blame ourselves. We still focus on our failures, what we must have done wrong to cause them to do what they did. That happens a lot. And it's a kind of control, too. And we find more and more ways, don't we, to control our lives. I was going to ask my wife if I could share um, this story of hers, and then she posted it on Facebook, so I figured I didn't have to ask. <laughs> 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 Women are laughing. Uh, people, <laughs> people think I'm building a chicken coop for the eggs. I'm actually building it to have a safe place to sleep when I do stuff like this. <laughs> so let's proceed, shall we? So my wife posted this on Facebook, and it's, and it's true. She's told me many times. She wakes, she'll wake up at midnight or uh, 1 or 2 in the morning. kind of depends on when we go to bed. But like about an hour after she'll go to sleep, she'll just wake up with a start. And she'll be like, oh my gosh, I forgot to feed and water the rabbits. I, I'm going to start preaching in overalls. Yes, we do have a progressively a farm here. Dogs, rabbits, all kinds of things. Anyway, but she wakes up with a start, and she, she'll go so far as to getting on a coat or a bathrobe and actually going outside, getting halfway down the deck or into the yard, and she'll realize, she's like, what am I doing? I do this every night without fail. I always feed them. I always water them. Sometimes she says she even though she's even still self-doubts and she'll go in there and she'll check on them and make sure and always they're fed, they're watered. I mean, they'll take more food, but they're fed, they're watered. <laughs> and she comes back to bed thinking, why do I do this again and again? And finally, she realized, she said, because it's something I can control. With, she said, with all the other things going on in life, in her life, in anybody's life, really, Three kids to parent. <laughs> Two of them under 40. <laughs> with the, with the, the, the stuff that goes on in, in just as being a teacher, just the stuff of school and life and, and parenting, all of that kind of stuff together, this is one thing, she says, this is one thing I can control. And so I think about it and I worry about it and I focus on it. People do all kinds of things to control. Sometimes people cut themselves or physically harm themselves because they feel like in doing that they can control the pain. People abuse themselves with substances to try to escape. People scapegoat others, abusing them mentally or physically or emotionally. We control in one way or another. We find ways to do it all the time. And we disengage, too. We disengage in one hand, and we control on the other, and suddenly those two temptations to do that seem to me to be very, very close together. Giving up and holding tight seem very similar. So what do we do? <laughs> I got another writer's block on that one, <laughs> and I've struggled to answer this. What do we do? And what does this have to do with our reading today what, and Jesus' actions today? I want to be in charge of my apathy, and I want to be in charge of the things I can control, or think I can. So I think the greatest spiritual muscles maybe that we can exercise in this Lenten season and on this journey are a couple of things, trust and, and following. 
You can say faith, you can say discipleship if, if you like, but trust and following faith and discipleship, however it goes. My anxiety, my failings, my control, really all rooted in fear? Trust. Just trust. Not in something out there, undefined, but in the one who has walked the road I could not. And my apathy, also rooted in fear? Follow. Follow the one in whom we trust. Take action with the one in whom we trust. You see, the troubles of the day will change. There will always be other issues to cause us anxiety or to overload us and make us want to just turn it all off. The assault of evil and the temptations to worry and control and to be liked and to be God will continue to come to us. As will the assaults and the pandemics that we can't control. You know, the journey of this season isn't like walking through an aquarium behind thick glass. You ever do that where you walk and up above you there's this thick glass kind of rounded and you can see all these beautiful things going on and then suddenly there's this shadow and this menacing shark kind of comes over and you're sort of thankful for that glass right there. To me, that's kind of <laughs> this hand of, of disengaging. But it isn't like swimming in that water full of beauty and, and danger and being totally alone as if you have to control everything around you. Or at least swim faster than your friends. <laughs> Not to carry the analogy too far. It's more like swimming through all of that water, beautiful and shark-infested, with one who knows the way, with one who's been there before not above it and flying over it and demanding and making demands of you, but one who's swum through it with the same skin that you wear and has won the victory that you couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly win. Let our journey begin and end focused in trust in Jesus and following Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.
In response to the good news, we confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For the season of Lent, we would like to invite you to join us in prayer, and we're going to be doing the prayers of the people in a little bit different way. We will raise a petition, and then there will be a time of silence for you to lift up your prayers to God around um, that bidding or that petition that we mentioned. We also invite you to refer to page 15, which that's where we have the different people listed that we're praying for each week, so that when we get to that spot in the petitions, you can um, be thinking about those people in your prayers. So let us pray. God, we pray for our country, our government, leaders, schools, and communities. We pray to you. Lord, we pray for our world, for those who are hurting, for those in need. We lift our world to you. God, we pray for those in our lives who grieve, who are ill in body, mind, or spirit, for the needs of those we love and those in our prayer list. We pray to you. Gather all of our prayers and shower us with all the gifts you so love to give. Your peace, your grace, your forgiveness, your healing, and your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Please share that peace with those around you. And we're going to show you an alternative way if you're nervous about flu season and other things. Peace of the Lord be with you always. Peace the Lord, Scott. I will. We are so glad that you're here today, and go ahead and pass those friendship pads down the aisle. Um, if you are a guest today, we'd love to have you put your name there and an email or an address. We just want to send you a thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, so with that, we have a few announcements with our community time. 
Um, the auction's just two weeks away, the youth auction. This is that great, fun fellowship um, event. And uh, so sign-ups today, you can get started on that. So we want you to do that. Um, and then um, you know that we are in the season of Lent, as you've been hearing from the sermon. And, and, and Ash Wednesday, we had lovely worship services on Ash Wednesday, last Wednesday. You can see that our first question last Ash Wednesday was, what are you looking for? This question from Jesus. We'll do another question this Wednesday and all through the seasons of Lent, and that'll culminate with the question, why are you weeping on Easter Sunday? So, um, so that's on Wednesday soup suppers. Please sign up. I think we still have a lot of openings. Are those sign-ups out here in the kiosk? just before the kiosk in the fellowship hall or in by, out by your office. Just in the hallways you go in, there's a sign up for soup suppers. Please sign up. That's a great time of fellowship um, at 6 o'clock and then 6.45 we have worship to 7.15. So a short little half hour service. Hold an evening prayer. People love that service. And we have a special solo, so I won't sell it anymore. I know you'll be there. Okay. So um, then Ladies' Night Out is different in March. It's March 14th, and they're going to be seeing a Christian comedian, Amy Barnes. And then finally, with our Lay School of Theology that's coming up later this month, our guest scholar, Troy Trofgruben um, from Warburg Seminary, he'll be doing three presentations, and they're kind of based on a new book that he's put out on the early church and its significance for us today. And if you'd like to read the book ahead of time, um, they are out in the narthex today. They're $15. You can also get them through your electronic um, deals through Nook and um, Barnes and & Noble and all, all that, too. But that, with some hard copies are out here for you if you'd like one today. With that, um, we continue now with our offering as we move to the supper. God of life, we give, we give these, these offerings, offerings in gratitude, gratitude and, faith, and faith, trusting that you will provide for our needs. 
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ. You call your people to cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Paschal Feast that renewed in the gift of baptism, we may come to the fullness of your grace. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And we pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us in the breaking of this bread as you once revealed yourself to your disciples. The gifts of God are ready for the people of God. You may be seated. During Lent, as a more penitential season, we receive communion at the rail. And so come forward to the middle and then fan out to the side as the ushers direct you. After you receive communion, you can have a moment if you'd like, but then don't wait for a blessing. You can head back to your pew when you are ready. All right.
end. May this, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, truly strengthen you, give you peace this day. Amen. God of abundance, with this bread of life and cup of salvation, you have united us with Christ, making us one with all your people. Now send us forth in the power of your spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. We are grace-filled. Go in peace and serve the Lord.